open-hearted owls out there. Welcome back to another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. We're back again. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Sarah. I am here with my co-host, the fantastic Casey. What's up, guys? I found my microphone. Yay! <laughs> audio quality has improved. <laughs> well, listen, I felt like your audio quality last week was less annoying to me than my dog's nails <laughs> on the floor. I apologize, listeners. I will figure this out. I moved into a house that thankfully does not have carpeting. I'm very excited about that, but I will have to rethink this podcasting situation. I've decided maybe I'll have to do it from bed because if I get in <laughs> bed, he jumps into bed with me and he won't move. Then he won't just, leave. There you so go. <laughs> I'll just, you know, I'll just have to hold my microphone. We like hearing from mascot Murray and uh, Rue was meowing very loudly prior to us recording. <laughs> so I'm glad he stopped doing that. So yeah, we love animals. They're in our houses. You're going to hear them. <laughs> I'm true. not worried about it. <laughs> it's true. Casey, how are you this week? I am pretty good. Honestly, my brain routine's nothing anymore. So all I know is we're like, <laughs> we're house hunting. It's winter time. Um, but in the last couple of days, my world has been the subject of this podcast and I'm really pleased about it. So yeah. <laughs> how about you? I'm excited for tonight. I have had some, I mean, the, the week has been a mixed bag, but I've had some fun nature-y things happen. I have to see if I can remember them off, off the top of my head now. The biggest one is a, a sighting that I had while I was driving home for my lunch break the other day just driving home bald eagle on the ground in Whoa. the median like five oh, no. feet from my car it was fine like I was like thinking I was gonna have to get home and call somebody because when I drove by he just kind of like hopped and flapped his wings but didn't take off I mean he was right there he was right by the side of the road massive those birds are so big so probably a she a probably a lady eagle maybe i i mean i just in general bald eagles yes. are big i don't know i defaulted it to a, a boy in my mind but could have been could have been a lady but regardless i so i went home drove back the same way like 15 minutes later headed back to work and he or she had taken off or had otherwise gotten across the road just fine. There was no sign of an eagle. So I guess everything was fine. I haven't seen a bald eagle in a really long time. It was super cool. I, I mean, they're just, they're so big and they're so gorgeous. So that was really fun. You never know what you're going to find out there. Uh, I did also use my battery powered lawnmower for the first time. So yeah. Fun. Mini review. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Yeah. For, for now, I just did a small section because um, most of my yard still looks okay. So I can't comment on, you know, the longevity of the battery or anything mm, like sure. that. Like if it's going to stay charged enough to do my whole yard, but worked just fine. Worked really well, actually. Um, I just had it set on the like mulching function. So I didn't bag the grass and it, it, it worked really well. So yes, two thumbs up for now. Felt really good about it. And then I started collecting scraps for my compost. You did your homework. <laughs> so that was really fun. I'm really excited about doing it. So we'll have more on composting next week. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, listen to this one and then go back and listen to Sarah's <laughs> composting episode. It was really well done and we're going to cover more of the topic and it's a very doable thing for most people. So that was a fun one. So we, last week we covered sustainability this week. We're going a little bit in the nature direction yeah. this week. We are going to be talking about owls. Um, and I want to thank one of our Instagram followers and listeners, named Matt. And we're going to actually post some photos in our, our Instagram story from Matt, who is a photographer in the Pacific Northwest and has taken some really amazing photos of owls. 
And he was like, Hey, you guys should do an episode about owls. And I was like, done. You got it. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so uh, that is just a another plug to let us know what topics you want to hear from us because you might hear your name on the podcast. And and hey, Matt, thanks so much for listening and reaching out. Coincidentally, sir, your dad sent the Instagram a picture of a snowy owl that he took. I was going to talk about this yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, because Matt actually uh, asked for this a couple weeks ago. Andrew and I were out late at night and the sky was like cloudy and the lights from the town had kind of lit it up orange in the background. And of course we have woods in our backyard, which I've talked about before. And there was a giant owl in one of the trees. We we have not, we didn't get close to it. So we think it was a great horned owl because we're pretty sure they live around here, but it was like a really big one. And we just saw the silhouette. And by the time, of course, we came back to try and take a picture they had gone and done their owl thing, but it, yes, all about owls. I'm, I'm very They're excited. So cool. Yes. Um, question for you this week as millennials, we have had a bunch of exposure to pop culture owls. What is your favorite pop culture owl reference? Do you have like an experience with, uh, like cartoon owls or, or any other or way of interacting with them? This is such a good question, and I'm slightly embarrassed to say that the first owl that popped into my brain with this question is, this is an old commercial, but I think it replayed enough that you would do the Tootsie Pop commercial. Oh, of course. Yeah. Mr. Owl. (laughs) Mr. Owl. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Is that my favorite pop culture owl? Probably not, but it's the first one that popped in into my head, and that's a pretty good commercial, gotta say. Um, Solid. I mean, they wouldn't keep playing it as the exclusive Tootsie Pop commercial right. for eternity if it wasn't gold. So, yes, Mr. Owl, classic. It's choice. a good one. I, and then, of course, you've got Winnie the Pooh, Owl from mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh. I'm not a big Winnie the Pooh person, and Owl wouldn't have been my favorite from the group. So I think for me, favorite would go to Archimedes. Absolutely. I knew you were going to, Sarah's a Disney girl. And so I was like, it's either going to be Owl from Pooh or it's going to be, although we're going to talk about mine in a second. So, um, or, uh, or Archimedes, but he's up there. Archimedes. And then there is also the owl that's from the intro to Disney sing-along songs. Oh, wow. That's a deep cut. I am not. (laughs) Archimedes Uh, is from Sword in the Stone. It's very, it's great. Watch it. Yes. Archimedes (laughs) is from Sword in the Stone. I just, that scene at the end where Merlin's talking about people flying one day and Archimedes is just laughing at him. Like, it's so good. Um, but then yes, Disney sing-along songs, which I think there were multiple iterations of, but whichever one that came out when I was a kid, the intro song to the sing-along songs was a blue owl who was like the teacher of the class and sang the intro song. It's on YouTube. Look it up. We are getting, I I think a lot of the same um, vibe, which is that owls are known for being very smart, yes. very wise. So we go to them for answers about how many licks it takes to get to the mm-hmm. center of a Tootsie Pop. I tried it once when I was in the fifth grade. It's a lot more than three, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and Archimedes is, is supposed to be extremely smart. Mm-hmm. Mine is a little different. Uh, I read the book series, the guardians of Gahul. Um, which was later made into a movie, but it was a chapter book series by Catherine Lasky, which I got really close to saying our friend Kristen's name. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Lasky. um, And it is a, a series of books about anthropomorphized owls and their like world and interactions and it was a hundred percent my jam. I don't know if it holds up if you reread, but if you've got kids in your life who's like, was a, a animal kid like me and you want to get them like a book series. I really enjoyed guardians of Gahul and it had lots of different owls, which just like made it even nerdier and better for me. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed that. And I'm actually surprised you didn't read it. Cause you're a big reader. Yeah. So. But I'm not, I'm not familiar with this one. That's my, uh, 11 year old Casey recommendation to our listeners out there. 
Um, so we, we talked about a little bit that we associate them with wisdom. The Greeks associate owls with Athena, the goddess of wisdom. And so this is likely where our connection has been made. Cause that was obviously a very long time ago. And I, that's already, I've already learned because I did not know that. I didn't know where that association okay. between owls and being wise came from. So what a, what, what a good way to start off. We're still in the intro and I've already learned. We're learning things. And uh, on the other hand, though, in some cultures, they are not viewed as so uh, positive mm-hmm. a symbol. So Chaucer, who like, if you're an English major nerd, do you know, as like an old guy that wrote important things, um, but he described barn owls as the prophets of woe and mischance and harbingers of death and ill omens. So that there are a symbol of bringers of death in some cultures. And that actually can, um, cause some issues with relationships with people in those areas because owls are everywhere and we're going to talk about it. Um, so that's just kind of the pop culture way that we view owls, but we are going to be talking about owls real life owls in nature doing their thing. What makes them so special? What is an owl even? Because it got me thinking about that. So stick around and we're going to come back and talk all about owls. All right. And we are back and we're going to be talking all sorts of things about owls. We're going to throw in some fun facts here and there. And I know Sarah, you have a fun fact to share with us. I have one more that our, our intro, it kind of goes along the lines of this. This was a thing that I, I didn't know before I started researching for this episode. We've maybe talked before about animal names and like groups of animal names, how some of them are like, you have a flamboyance of flamingos and that sort of thing. And I'm always like, who comes up with these names? Where do they come from? Are these real? Like (laughs) one day official, one day we're going to have like a a rant, like section of an episode. And this would be one of mine. But, they are excessive. Yes, they are excessive. But and do you know the name for a group of owls? Oh, yes. So it is the Parliament of Owls. Yes. And I learned that apparently this came from C.S. Lewis. Yes. So talking about authors, I had no idea. It comes from the Chronicles of Narnia, which I adore. Completely adore. I don't remember this, but I don't remember somewhere in the books. I'll yeah. have to find which one. I, this apparently just means I need to reread them all. But there's a meeting of owls, and he calls it a parliament, and that's why we call a group of owls a parliament. And I just think that's fabulous. I love it. They're always fun. Oh, not official. Just so you know, if you ever talk to an owl sci- scientist and you're like, "Oh, did you see any parliaments out there?" <laughs> They're they're gonna be like no, <laughs> um, but I also believe that that is the governing structure in the Guardians of Gahul as well. So I think they use it there. Uh, it is fun. It is it is fun. It is an entry point for people. Yes. It is silly. It is sometimes excessive because, especially because, like owls don't they're not super social animals either. So right. like oh, the, totally the uh, likelihood of you seeing a parliament of owls is just very, very small. (laughs) So we're going to talk about first, just kind of like what an owl is. So Sarah, if you were describing an owl to an alien who knows what birds are, so you don't have to go like super (laughs) in depth, but they know what a bird is, but they're like, yeah, but what's an owl compared to all the rest of the birds? I don't know if this is how I would describe it to an alien, (laughs) but I would say that owls are like the ninja birds. Ooh. They're mysterious. They're quiet. They are deadly if you happen to be a small animal, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they they are birds of prey. So they're you like your eagles and your hawks, but they're gonna tend to be more active at night. They're primarily nocturnal. There's a lot of owls, like over 200. I, I left it a little blank right. in there. Yeah. Because I was going to be like, Sarah, how many species oh. do you think? But yes, <laughs> there are over 200 species of owls. My mind was blown. Cause I was like, there's probably like 46 or something like, you know, 
not 200. Yeah. But I feel are. like I could name like less than 10 of those 200 species. But yeah, so there's a lot of different kinds and it's not 100% across the board that they are nocturnal. Casey, you mentioned they are mostly solitary. That's not 100% true across the board either. So there are some differences between the species, but by and large ninja birds. I also feel like they are kind of the opposite of what I tend to think of. If somebody says bird to me, I think about your songbirds and I think about the very social, very loud, you know, your house sparrows and that sort of thing that are always active, always talking, very visible. Whereas owls are hard to spot, typically by themselves, typically very quiet, cool birds. Super cool. Yeah, I, I think ninja birds is a good way to describe it. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, I, I started thinking like they're a bird of prey, but what makes them really different from a hawk or, you know, an eagle? And really it is that they have evolved to fit a different niche. So this is their role in the ecosystem. While the hawks and eagles go to sleep at night, the owls are able to hunt prey during that nighttime and they have evolved special adaptations to help them survive and and be active during this time of the day and so these adaptations have become really extreme and they have really separated the owls from the rest of the birds of prey so sarah i've popped some pictures into our outline here because uh, like every three seconds researching them last night i kept turning andrew be like look at this one i love this one this one's great (laughs) Uh, so uh yeah there's 200 over 200 species of owls some Uh, sources will put it at up to 250. Oftentimes with species, there's some debate on things. So they're split into two families. The first family is Titonidae and Titonidae contains barn owls, which I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with. Bay owls, which is what I popped the picture of in this, uh, this outline here. That looks like an alien. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Bay owl. So we'll also put that in, in our episode, uh, in on, um, Facebook and Instagram. So you can see what a bay owl looks like because wow, it's like a barn owl became more of an alien. Yes. And then masked owls. And there's only like 16 species in this, uh, family and this kind of branch of the owl stree forms, if you will. That's uh, what the, the group that contains owls is. And all the rest of them go into Strigidae. But basically the Titonidae, they have heart-shaped faces versus the Strigidae, which contains all the other owls and they have mostly round faces in there. So I popped a picture of a hawk owl because like mm. what a delightful animal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't even remember what the other one was that's in here, but he has an orange face and he's very cute and sleepy. <laughs> he looks sort of like, I I almost want to say gremlin-like, but not like in an adorable way. In a like proud of himself for graduating kindergarten kind of way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so crazy things about owls. Um, as you mentioned, Sarah, they don't all operate at night, but basically their physical traits have evolved to help them operate at night. And some of them have strayed into the crepuscular zone, which is active during dawn and dusk. And then some of them are more diurnal. So main reason that humans are not active at night is because we don't see very well. (laughs) Um, so Sarah, what can you tell us about owl eyes that makes them good at seeing at night? They have a few things to help them see better at night. One of them is something if you have a house cat at home, you'll be familiar with. It's called the tepidum lucidum, which is a reflective layer on the back of their eye. It's that thing that is like eye shine. So if you see your cat's eyes glowing in the dark at night, that's what that is. It's shining off of this reflective layer. So that helps kind of enhance the light for them. It's just a reflective surface. They also have, I always forget, is it the, is it the rods or the cones? They have more rods, more rods that help. So, so you have rods and cones in your eye. They do different things and having more rods helps them to be able to see better at night. The cones are going to help more for color 
vision cones correct. are color. Yeah. Rods, yes. rods help them detect and process more light versus the cones that are more color. They don't have a lot of cones. They think that some owl species can detect color, but they think others might just be straight up colorblind. Lots of rods though. Yeah. And then they also have, I, I believe it's their, their corneas that are, so they have big eyes, right? So they have these bigger eyes that are going to be letting in more light. And then I believe it's the cornea that helps to focus that light too. So owls do have kind of weirdly shaped eyes. They have kind of elongated eyes, which I believe is in part to allow to have that bigger cornea to help with focusing the light too. So owl eyes are Wild. amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different things that are sort of in, interconnected, uh, but those are some of the ones that in particular help with nighttime vision. Okay. So this was one of the things that blew my mind a couple years ago when I found out, because I always thought that eyes were basically synonymous with eyeballs, like <laughs> that everyone had spherical eyes mm -hmm. that you could like look around in your head. And that is just not true. Like you mentioned, they have kind of tube shaped eyes, it gives them more distance between the front and the back of their eyes. So again, more light comes in, but it, that's like, that blew my mind <laughs> that, that eyeballs are not a universal thing to be had across yeah. all eye having species. Yeah, it is. It's, it is very interesting. And if you look at it, this may not be appealing to some of you, but like, if you look at a dissected owl eye, so they, 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 say tubular, through. they say they're tubular shaped, right? They look, it's, it's almost more like bell shaped to me. Okay. Yeah. That's but a good yeah, way to describe so they're it. Long, long and skinny and then more sort of, there's a little more bulbous in the back, but yeah, it is interesting. Owls also have just huge eyes compared to their body size. Um, they account for one to 5% of an owl's body weight, which like take a pause, do some math, figure out how big your eyes, like how heavy your eyes have to be to equal out that weight. Mine would be like, like anywhere up to like seven pound eyes. <laughs> it's like this, the weight of my entire head would be eyes. And I think that's even more impressive because an owl skeleton, they're flated birds. So they have hollow bones, which means that their skeleton only accounts for seven to 9% of their body weight. So up to 5% eyeballs up to 9% all bones. That's <laughs> crazy. I mean, not volume wise, but weight wise, that's, that's intense. They also have binocular vision, which I, I think sometimes we take for granted that our eyes face forward. It is much more common amongst predator species than it is amongst prey species. So, uh, Sarah, what would be like the advantage of having eyes on the side of your head? Eyes on the side allows you to see more. I'm using my hands like the <laughs> listeners can see me, but open. it allows you to see in more directions at once sort of if that may allows you to see further around you better peripheral vision is sort of I guess so if you are a prey species it means that you can look out a little bit better to keep yourself safe and make sure nothing's trying to sneak up on you from all sides yeah like imagine you're in a haunted house and like you're watching a horror movie or whatever and you're watching like oh something made a noise behind me. I have to like mm -hmm. spin my head around really quickly. Yeah. Prey species don't really have to do that. They're just already running because they have spotted <laughs> that little bit of detection. So what is the advantage of binocular vision then versus which is your eyes facing kind of forward? So if you're a hunter, this is going to allow you to zero in on whatever you need to focus on. It's going to help you a little more with things like depth perception and ju judging distances and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's especially important for owls because they have so little light to work with and really they need to see the world in a 3D sort of way rather than sort of the more blurry vision that might be associated with kind of your peripheral vision. So um, they don't have quite as good a range of binocular vision as we do, um, but they still have pretty good binocular vision. And we, we talked about how big they are and how they cannot turn their eyes the same way we can. So that kind of brings us to a classic kind of misconception slash reality of owls, right? Like 
Yeah. So what do people think owls can do? There's this idea that owls can turn their heads all the way around, that they can basically turn their heads 360 degrees. That is a myth that that is not true. I I can say that's probably one of the reasons people get freaked out by owls. (laughs) They're they're like, I only see this thing at night and it turns its head. It turns its head all the way around. (laughs) It's a little bit of an exorcist uh, type feeling for people. Well, it's not true. They can't do that, but they can turn their heads uh, about 270 degrees around. So that makes up for them. We, we didn't mention with their eyes, the thing that owls have and a lot of other bird species have as well. In addition to just the size and shape of their eyes, they have what's called a sclerotic ring. Like they actually have a bony ring around their eyes and a lot of other birds have that too. And, and dinosaurs and fish uh but so that help that really keeps their eyes fixed so you can imagine i mean back in that haunted house like if you were you know if your eyes are fixed forward and you can't look around at all you'd have to like swing your whole body around uh, to see what was behind you so instead of having to do that Owls have a lot more bones in their neck than we do, so they can turn their heads much more freely to see what is around them. Yeah, they've got 14 uh, cervical bones in their neck, so that allows them to spin. So 270 degrees is about three quarters around, right? Exactly three quarters around. That's how how those things work, right? Pretty close? Yes. yes. Pretty close. Oh, now we're going to hear from, from the cat trying to well, hello, get us out here. <laughs> I did um, see him jumping around behind you. Really. Yes. Yeah. He is in a mood. So he scared the dog away. <laughs> um, so go ahead. This, no, this brings me to my other favorite fact that I just learned while researching for this episode, because I, I, j- I don't know why this was never a thought that crossed my mind before but you think about us if we are in a car accident like you get whiplash or would have some kind of trauma to our necks that's a big deal right there's nerves and blood vessels and all of these things where if our cervical vertebrae turn wrong or get off track or whatever that can be a really big deal how do owls turn their heads three quarters of the way around without damaging their blood vessels. Never, ever thought about it before, but apparently it's a thing like medical researchers have looked at and they have basically a blood pooling reservoir system that I feel like I would need somebody to talk me through to understand completely. But basically somehow when they turn their heads as they're turning their heads blood will collect in little pools that they can then use to keep a continuous blood supply to their brain when they have their heads turned all the way around what nature's crazy like (laughs) super cool sometimes when you think about like huh owls they can turn their heads right super far around you forget about all the mechanisms that are necessary for that to be it's like the same thing with giraffes when they take their head and they put it down you don't realize that like oh if it was you all the blood would rush to your head but giraffes have special systems to help deal with like the things that we have to deal with so it's not like a non-factor for them they just have the biological resources to make this work and it's crazy it's super cool so cool. And I just, you know, how do I'm an animal person and yet it's taken me this long to think about and find the answer to that question. Yes. That reminds me, we should cite some sources here. You're going to find them in your episode description. I took some from owl pages, uh, also a reader's digest guide to North American birds. I'm going to take a little issue with you reader's digest because you excluded Mexico for some reason. And this seems like you're not allowed to call your book the book of North American birds, but you had some cool owl information. So thanks for that. Um, Audubon society, and then a couple of, uh, animal diversity web, and then a couple of conservation organizations that we're going to cite later in here too. So remember, we're not experts. We're not owl researchers. And that's a great thing about learning about nature is you will never stop learning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's everywhere all the time. We're getting new things. 
So we've covered eyes, but owls actually have really exceptional hearing as well. Sarah, what can you tell us about owl hearing? What do you know about it? The thing that I remember about owl hearing or owl ears is asymmetrical ears. I don't know if that's a thing for all owls or not, but their ears are not on the same spot on either side of their head. They're just a little bit off and that helps them to just with the sound waves reaching them, it helps them to pinpoint where exactly sound is coming from. So it helps them basically to localize their prey. Yeah. This might be a bad analogy, but like when snakes stick out their tongue, they've got two different sensors basically on the end. So you, you know, you have a forked tongue for a snake when they bring it back into their mouth, they have an organ that reads it and they can tell more the scent is more collected on one side than the other. I think that's kind of the similar idea with the asymmetrical ears. So one being a little higher than the other, they're able to better say like, Oh, nope, it reached this ear first. So it is coming from this direction better, but it gets kind of more wild than that. So obviously they don't have external ears the same way that we do but they do have ways of funneling sound towards their Mm. ear holes. And this really kind of blew my mind. So they have these heart and disc shaped faces that we talked about. And those shaped faces are specifically for funneling sound towards their ears. And on top of that, they have feathers behind the ears. And I hopefully I'm understanding this correctly. Feathers behind the ears that are denser that help kind of funnel keep that funnel going towards the ear, but the feathers that are on that facial disc that you see there actually have less dense feathers that allow the sound to kind of not just come through, but it amplifies the sound. So they found that it increases the sound pressure from the waves of sound tenfold going through these feathers into the ear. So they are able to like (laughs) amplify this Oh, it's so wild. Uh, I think it's also been described kind of like a, almost like a satellite dish yeah, kind of shape. Yeah. yeah. But I, that blew my mind. Like they, they really are so specially adapted to every part of them is supposed to help them with this nighttime hunting sort of situation. Yeah. That is so cool. As soon as you started talking about that face shape, I, I remembered that too, that kind of satellite dish analogy. And yeah, it's just another thing that you're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, you think of a barn owl and its face shape is so recognizable. And you're like, yeah, that's just the way owls are. Nope. Like that's a very specialized tool to help them be successful hunters. It's amazing. I I like to think about like the first person who thought of these things, like (laughs) why do owls have heart-shaped faces and like eagles don't, you know, like when you start to get into those little questions, that's what science is. It's just like, okay, let's go pursue what that means. (laughs) Yeah. And I wish my brain worked that way. I'm not good at thinking of those questions, but I sure like learning about them. Kids are really good at it. Mm -hmm. And I, it's like my favorite thing because they don't know really what conventional thinking is in the same way we do. They're not conditioned to accept certain things as reality. So they're so good at at identifying things that you're like, huh? Never thought about that. I don't know. (laughs) So true. Um, it's also worth noting that you're going to see great horned owls and short-eared and long-eared owls have ear tufts where like they have little feathers sticking up on the top of their head. They look like ears. They're not actually ears. They're just kind of, I think, decorations for the most part. (laughs) If you're an owl scientist, let me know if they're not decorations, but they certainly aren't ears. I'll tell you that. Um, And they also have a larger part of their brain that's good at processing sounds as well. Owls can hunt blind. That's something we didn't really actually talk about. There's a misconception that owls are basically blind in the daytime. That's Mm -hmm. not true. They can actually see better than we can in the daytime. (laughs) They just are really good with light. But even if they can't see it, so let's say that there's Uh, it's a snowy owl and it's hunting up in the Arctic where there are rodents under the snow, or if there's a bunch of leaf litter and there is um, a mouse going underneath that, they're able to pinpoint that animal just by sound and be able to grab them from right underneath all that cover. It's crazy. Ninja owls, ninja Ninja owls. Yep. So hearing's an incredibly important part of that. Obviously, so you're an owl, you're sitting up in your tree. You can imagine yourself as whatever type of owl. If you want to pause the podcast and look up and be like, I need to know what kind of owl I would prefer to be. So uh, you're an owl in a tree because that's most likely where you are, but you might be in other habitats. Um, And you're looking for some sort of prey. So owls, something that makes owls owls is that they 
are carnivorous, but some of them are just insectivores. So some of them just mm-hmm. rely on insects, but you're, you're trying to detect your prey and you know where it's at because you've got just the dopest eyes and the best hearing in the world, but you, now you have to sneak up on it. <laughs> like if you are that mouse, you are, are that, that person in a, a haunted house, you're like, oh man, any little sound is going to send me rushing back into my burrow. I, I'm, if I hear an owl coming, it's, it's doomed for me. So they have to be super, super silent. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about owl feathers? What do you know about them and their ability to help owls stay silent? Very little, honestly. I just remember that they have special edges, like the, I I don't even remember specifically what it is about the edges of their feathers, but something about the airflow over the feathers, the way that their feathers are designed makes that airflow basically silent. Yeah. It's often described as serrated edges to their feathers, which makes them sound super sharp. And that's not really what's right. trying to be. <laughs> I think that's not, <laughs> not a knife, but if you think about the shape of a knife, mm-hmm. you have gaps in there. Yeah. And, um, Stephen, uh, Pokiask, who is now a researcher in a Forbes article, Sorry if I pronounced your name incorrectly, but thank you for this analogy because it's wonderful. It was basically like if you were to take your hand and you were to move it really, really fast right past your ear, you would hear kind of it mm-hmm. displacing the air. And similarly, I have heard geese fly right over my head and it yeah. sounds like tiny little airplanes. Like it is, they are actually very, very loud. And that's the feathers sort of wavering in the wind. Now, if you wave your hand past your ear with your fingers open, so think like, whoop, spreading out my fingers, do the same thing, you're not going to hear it because the air is passing through those gaps rather than being displaced. And that is basically how owl feathers work. And it works really well. I don't know if you've ever been to a bird presentation at a zoo or anything like that where they do the, the flights and had an owl fly. Yeah. by you. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's, it's, you wouldn't know it's completely silent. It's amazing, but they're also super well, in addition to the being silent flyers, their feathers are excellent camouflage owls. You mentioned you're most likely in a tree owls blend in to those trees so well. When we talked about Florida wildlife, I don't know if you remember, I was telling you my mom and I were looking for manatees and we we think we saw a manatee, right, yeah. but we're not really sure if it was floating on. The same thing has happened to us with an owl. It was possibly just a tree. We're not really sure. We both thought it was an owl. We were hiking in Tennessee looking for bears that I didn't see, but, um, <laughs> we thought there was an owl in the tree and we're like, stop it. And we got our binoculars and we're trying to take pictures and all of this. And about five minutes into all of this, my mom was like, is that really an owl? <laughs> is that just where the tree? And then we spent another five minutes trying to determine, trying to figure it out. So the, the jury is still out. I have no idea if we saw an owl or not. It sure looked like we thought we saw the face of the owl, but now we're not sure because that's how well camouflaged they can be. They're incredible. The woods near me are not that big. I have never seen an owl except for that owl silhouetted against the <laughs> night sky, which they can't do all that much about. So like that, it, it really, they are very, very cryptic. The only other owl I have seen was I saw some owlets when I was going, um, gosh, what's it called when you're up in a tree, when you're, uh, <laughs> Oh no, I can't remember when you're, what it's called. When you're so climbing the tree. Lining. No, you're zip oh, lining. Zip <laughs> I was like attached to a rope. Ah. <laughs> I was zip lining and there were, and like, I was on one of those, those lines that you're not actually like zooming through the trees. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of aerial walking. Um, and we saw some baby owls, some owlets in a tree and it was daytime. That's so cool. That's the only time I've seen a wild owl, but it was so cool. Um, yes. So cryptically colored camouflage is the name of the game. Very few owls have sort of markings that would make them very showy. They're absolutely not peacocks. They are not even cardinals. They are generally just sort of the color of nature. And so they're really great at blending into their environment. And that helps them also avoid predators, which can include other owls. 
owls eat owls. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, betrayed. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Crazy. They can eat things as large, apparently as small deer. deer. And foxes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't know which owl species it is that's eaten deer, but that's amazing. There's some big owls out there. The great gray owl is the largest owl in the U S I think the Eurasian Eagle owl is at least the largest by weight. So some big old owls out there. The smallest owl is the elf owl. And they're so little and very like cute. Like five inches or something, it's right? So cute. Google I those I need to two. see one of these. Guys, probably for the full next week after this podcast comes out, maybe we'll just post pictures of different types of owls because there's 200 of them. And I bet you that blew your mind already. So, <laughs> but there's lots of other cool things. Sarah, do you have any other like favorite fun facts about owls? Well, you, you have on your feet and that would be the other thing that I think of with owls. Different birds have different types of feet. They have different arrangements of toes, depending on what habitat they live in, what food they eat and all of that. But owls, again, are super cool because they can kind of go um, back and forth. They can have, they, they can basically move one of their toes Toes. as it were. Yeah. From, from back to front. So they can either have three toes in front and one in the back. And that's typical for like a songbird. Yes. So think about your songbird. When you typically draw a little bird, you got the three feet in the front, the one in the back. Parrots are different. They have two in the front, two in the back that helps them hang upside down. Mm -hmm. Owls are like ambidextrous basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they can switch back and forth between both of those grips sort of. So, um, rather than being right or left-handed, they are, uh, they either have those three toes in the front or two in the front and two in the back, which is called zygodactyl for that setup. So if they are grabbing their food or something like that, they can move that toe around. So that's, that's pretty good. Nice and flexible. Yeah. Super cool. Other things I don't actually have in here, but I thought are worth mentioning is many species of owls are monogamous. They will return to the same nest year after year, but they don't don't typically build a nest. So they'll be like, ah, somebody else made a nest here. That's cool. Or there's a scraping in the middle of a tree or a cactus. And they're like, yep, we're just going to sit right here. And, and the males and females often will raise the babies together. I'm sure this depends on the species. And for a lot of the owls that are in the barn owl family at Titonidae, we actually get most of our information and from the common barn owl, which is one of the best studied owls out there. And we've just kind of been like, probably the rest do the same thing. Um, <laughs> so more studies needed. Um, and females often are bigger than males, which is pretty true in a lot of birds of prey, which is cool. But I think also not true across the board for owls because they're very diverse. Uh, pellets are the last thing I wanted to talk about. Sarah, what do you want to tell us about owl pellets? An owl pellet is something that an owl regurgitates. So when they're swooping down and catching their mouse or whatever they're eating for dinner that night, they just swallow it. They just eat the whole thing. Um, Obviously owls don't have teeth, so they're not not chewing things up. Um, But they cannot break all of those things down. So basically all of the stuff that they can't digest gets all smooshed together in a little packet and then they spit it back up and scientists can use that. It's a good tool for scientists scientists to collect and learn more about what these birds are eating. Apparently it's a thing a lot of you have probably dissected in school. I didn't get to do that. I've never dissected an owl pellet. I think I have. Yeah. You don't remember? Well, okay. Here's the thing is working at a conservation organization. I did a lot of like talking about owl pellets and talking about dissecting owl pellets. (laughs) Did you tell people that you dissected an owl? No, I don't think so. But like, I don't know. I think I may have implanted a false memory in my brain, you know, where you're like, ah, this story happened to my friend actually. And I just told it so many times. I thought it happened to me. Um, but, uh, I think I have, I'm pretty sure I did when I was like in the fifth grade at Hawk mountain, maybe. But when I was walking through the woods the other day, after we saw the owl and ginger was sniffing around, I thought I saw one. However, however, it is, it is like, it's not owl poop. It is basically owl vomit and it looks a lot like dead things. So I didn't want to 
picking up. <laughs> I was like, this could be an owl pellet. Very cool. And then I was like, or it's just a desiccated dead mouse. And I don't want to touch that. Um, so fair. they'll um, sometimes pluck some of the feathers off, but they don't do it entirely. And they have weaker stomach acids than other birds of price. They really aren't able to break it down. Other birds will also retch up pellets, but not in the same sort of like whole prey sort of way as owls do, but you can like re-articulate skeletons out of owl pellets. And so this is how they study like prey populations, what the Mm -hmm. owls are eating, health of owls, super cool aspect to owls. This is a random aside, but do you have a favorite species of owl, Casey? Um, when I'm, I I feel like I'm reevaluating because I've just learned that so many of them exist. Uh, when I was a kid, it was barn owls because that was the main character in guardians of Gahul. but I am really love me a little screech owl, like the Mm. cutest little, they're native over here, the Eastern screech owl, and there are Western screech owls too. And they just are like this little floof that looks very angry a lot. (laughs) Um, so I feel like I will have a different answer after posting a bunch of pictures of cute owls, but I think I'm going to go with screech owl. What about you? Excellent. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I want to learn more about all of these species, so I will probably reevaluate too. I I do love the barred owl just because, yeah. like, yeah. barred, not barn, because just that's the one that I've seen in, in the wild. Those were the ones that I would see and hear in my backyard back in Indiana. And then similarly, the the snowy owl so I oh. like you were saying my dad oh my gosh what is wrong with us we didn't bring up Hedwig from Harry Potter oh I thought about it I just I'm not that attached to Hedwig I I, I was surprised you didn't mention it but oh I'm gonna I, I'm get my my Quidditch creds pulled away <laughs> from me <laughs> no I oh. she's yeah, snowy I owl just, I I didn't I didn't get attached to Hedwig but you know, my dad sent those pictures of snowy yes. owl. He had sent those pictures to me as well. Just amazing. But I remember when I was younger and I don't remember how long ago this was. I was probably like 12 or something like that. I don't remember for sure. But I remember we th- the same thing had happened. There, there was a snowy owl that had come that far south and we drove out to go see it. So I've seen one in the wild before too. It is so cool. I had to to look up. Apparently this happens. You probably are in this area too. It's what's called their eruptive range, which as far as I understand it just means if they've had a really good year, just the breeding was good this year or whatever, or conditions were right, they, they will sometimes come that far south. It obviously doesn't happen every year. It's not their typical range, but it's also happens every once in a while where they'll come that far south. So it's- I, I did see like a conservation organization that was like, ah, oh, snowy owls in New Jersey. And I was like, what? Because mm. I expect them to be not there. <laughs> right. And it is, it's further south than they would typically be, yeah. but it's not like, what is going on there? You know? Right. So it's a, a, apparently on Cornell's all about birds website it shows this line for their eruptive range so it's kind of cool but yeah I'm excited to get some experience or learn about some of these other species as well yes okay so I know we're running long so we're gonna go to conservation some threats facing owls climate change messes with prey cycles changes temperature parameters in their habitat basically is going to reorganize the way life interacts with itself on earth. So we don't know exactly how it's going to impact owls, but we know it will because it's going to impact basically everybody. Mm -hmm. Habitat loss is the number one threat to all species. So especially for owls who depend on mature trees for nesting sites, um, when you throw roads into the equation, that can be an issue as well. Um, but one thing we haven't talked about on podcasts before is really the impact of rodenticides. So can you tell us how rat poison hurts owls? How does it, that happen? It's that, I mean, you are what you eat sort of thing. So the rats eat the poison, it makes them sick, but doesn't usually kill them right away. So then these rodents are out kind of wandering, makes them easy targets 
four other predators. So you've got your owl coming along. They've got a nice, easy meal in this rat that has eaten poison and is sick. And that poison just gets moved along and makes the owl sick too. A lot of times these rodenticides are they're what's known as blood thinners or they're anticoagulants. So I was reading about that. That's basically what happens is these owls will eat the rodents that have eaten the poison and it makes them just internally bleed out, which is devastating. And it, if they're bringing food back to feed their young as well, it can kill off entire families of owls. Yeah, it's it's honestly pretty horrific. If you want to learn more, the Barn Owl Trust, which is a conservation organization in the UK, has some really interesting data about it, but it can take a couple of weeks, but the owls oftentimes will die. Um, there's not as much study about what the long-term effects are at non-lethal lethal levels. Mm-hmm. So think about DDT with impacting bald eagle egg stability. We don't know if this also is going to impact them reproductively, but I mean, the it's not like sort of a cartoon where the rat eats the poison and then kills over dead. Like they generally take a couple of days before they pass away. And in that time they can be a big target for predators because they're easy. They're slow. They, uh, if an owl eats three mice that, and, and oftentimes we're not even trying to target their prey species. Like it's, we're trying to get rats and wood mice and voles and all sorts of other species that the owls prey on will eat it as well. Um, and our pesticides or rodenticides have become much more strong in the last 50 years or so, because rats started to become immune to the weaker stuff. So they were trying to get past us. So, um, according to the barn owl trust in the UK in 1984, when they first studied this, they found 5% of barn owls that they studied had uh, some trace of this rat poison in them in 2003, that number rose to 54% of barn owls. Wow. Um, in 2006, they started to improve the testing methods and what they found is even though the severity of testing, so like basically if they were still using the old testing methods, the number of barn owls testing positive for this poison would have gone down from previous years because they could detect lower levels of poison in their systems. Now, um, that number peaked at 91% of barn owls studied in 2010 had rat poison in their bodies in 2019, which was last reported. It was like 87%. So it is a uh, current problem. Like this is an ongoing current problem. It's not just the UK. We have this issue in the U S as well. You're impacting all sorts of birds of prey higher up on the food chain. Poison doesn't just stay in your backyard basically. So, um, it's important to think about that when you are trying to do pest control Owls are good pest control naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we end up poisoning their prey, it can have big implications. And honestly, like other than the general cultural issues, I'm sure that there are some countries where like it is an overall, I don't like owls sort of vibe in the Mm -hmm. US. I would say owls are extremely well liked as far as birds go. Like I think a lot of us have admiration for them. They're just very cool looking birds because they're so mysterious. We don't see them very often. And I think the thought of hurting them on like by accident is pretty sad. Um, so if you are someone who is trying to deal with some of these, there are non-lethal actions you can take and you can find that on the barn owl trust website, but we are going to talk about some other action that you can take after we get to our wrap up. Sarah, do you have anything else to add about owls? No, thanks. This, this was awesome. I really am excited to look up and learn some more about some other species. I would just tag on to those comments about us not wanting or not trying to, to hurt owls or it being sad that we're, we're hurting owls instantly. I think this is the downfall of owls being ninja birds, right? Is that we don't see them. So when people are putting out their rodenticides, it's just not, it's not what's not in their in head. Brain. It's yeah. not what they're thinking about. They're like, I, I've never seen owls around here. So it's, I'm, I couldn't possibly be contributing to this problem, but I think we, we need to realize that, like you said, this is a, is a current problem. So we need to learn about what our alternatives are, but thank you. Thanks for the discussion. I hope you all listening are as excited about owls as we are, and we'll be back with uh, your take-home action for the week in just a moment.
All right. And we are at our challenge of the week. If you're new here every week, we give you a bit of a challenge to try and do during the course of the week to, uh, help whatever the topic we have of the week. So it's related. Um, it hopefully gets you a little bit more into nature or helps you help protect species or be more sustainable. There are owls on every continent except for Antarctica. So unless you're a researcher in Antarctica, checking on penguins, you have an owl probably living Man, somewhere near you. <laughs> if you are researching penguins in Antarctica and listening to our podcast, please <laughs> call us. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> we'll do that on our next episode if that is the case. Hey, <laughs> but you've got owls around you. Even if you don't see them, even if you don't know what's going on with them, there are owls around you. And more likely than not, there's also a owl either conservation organization or study going on around you. And so your challenge of the week is if you live in the States, try and focus this on your state. If you can get even closer to your city, that's, that's great too. If you live in another country, you might just have one, you might have multiple look for something that's pretty local to you. Um, but you're looking for one of those organizations studying or protecting owls. Um, some cool ones that I came across in this project were the barn owl project, the barn owl trust, which is in the UK and the owl research Institute that is in, uh, I believe Montana and another state, but there are some other cool ones. Like I said, some people are tagging snow owls in New Jersey. That's not a cop out New Jersey. If you're a New Jersey listener, you have to go look at it and see what they're doing and see if it's (laughs) near you. Um, but take a look at what you can find. And if you're like super into owls, you should take a look at what maybe you can do to help. Maybe they're going to have specific issues facing the owls in your area. Maybe they're going to have something that helps you monitor things. Maybe you can order an owl pellet and take it home. (laughs) But, uh, but all these organizations are doing some really cool work and that's going to be our action for the week is to explore that a little bit more. We're now following them on our Instagram and we'll reblog some of their stuff. That's not, that's Tumblr. I think, um, share in our stories, some of their things, uh, but hopefully you get inundated with owls and you fall in love with them because they're amazing. And there should be Buzzfeed quizzes about what type of owl are you and all there that probably kind of thing. Is. probably, but there it should be a good one. <laughs> I am issuing myself my own personal challenge for the yes, week, tell too, us. which is to go look for those burrowing owls. Yes, you have I haven't gotten owls. to do it. It was rainy and gross on my day off last week mm. and cold and so the burning like else wouldn't have been into not, it either <laughs> it was not an ideal day to drive over an hour to go down a random road and look for burrowing owls so hopefully before our next recording day I will get a chance to go out there and you know, I will, I will take pictures and report back if I see any, please do. If you want to learn more about burrowing owls in particular, check out our Florida wildlife episode, exploring Florida, because you're going to learn about these owls. They're basically what I would consider exception owls because you'd Mm -hmm. be like, owls live in trees. Owls (laughs) are active during the nighttime. It's like burrowing owls are like, no. So, um, so yeah, and those are native to the U S so many cool things. Um, we'll also link in the, uh, show notes here, a video that has a bunch of different owls making different calls across the U S cause that's another thing you can listen for at night. Cause you're more likely to hear them really than you are to see mm-hmm. them, which I have heard them. And, uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, this is, this is a love letter to owls. Thank you. <laughs> photo that Matt, which is his Instagram handle. So he's an excellent photographer. Go follow him. If you want to see more owl photos, we'll share some of his stuff, but thanks so much for putting us on this journey to fall more deeply in love. Yes. (laughs) With owls. And thanks for being here with me, Sarah. Where can our listeners find us? If you would like to tell us what you want an episode to be on. If you have another animal that you want us to follow extra in love with or any other topic idea or owl photos just, <laughs> or owl photos, or you just want to say hi, or you have other thoughts, feedback, suggestions, whatever you can find us on Facebook. You can just look up a little greener podcast on Instagram. We are at a little greener pod, or you can send us an email at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Yes. And rate, review, subscribe, download, all those things help us. If you're enjoying us in 2022, we really appreciate if 
you know, you drop us one of those little pieces of feedback that helps us get better and also uh, can help attract more listeners to us if you've got good things to say. So we appreciate that if you got the time. All right. Thanks everyone. Yeah. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.